Wow. Like, what an incredible picture of what God can do, right? That even in death and loss of an early life, he sees the reality that she now lives in victory of Jesus. That even in the midst, I mean, what a message we get to give to people about a God that even death doesn't defeat his followers. That's such an amazing story, and I'm glad that I got to talk in the night that it's up here because I, it just teased me up to look at the Bible with you guys and talk about where that hope is found and the words of life that we get to read, which we call our Bible and take advantage of, is filled with the truths that give us a perspective to understand who God is and have a faith like that. I mean, how amazing is that? How beautiful is that? How incredible is that? That even we can tell a story that even when cancer wins, Christ still wins. What problems do you have in your life? If cancer can't beat you, what can? I don't know. But I get really excited about hearing that story because especially you hear that story about that young man and how did we get in touch with him? How did the gospel get a hold of him? Is that he was found by a church plant about a group of people just like y'all going to another college university meeting a group of students and, and being a part of transforming their lives to have a perspective that not even cancer can beat the life that Jesus gives us, even if you die from cancer. It gets me excited because if you don't know me, my name's Ernie. We're planning a church in Cincinnati coming this fall. Woo! I think I'm like college students. This is like the 50-year-old club, like that like climb into the room. Is this like early breakfast? Am I at Denny's at five? What's going on? Like, let's wake up. All right. We're planning a church in Cincinnati this fall. Thank you. That's really exciting. And it makes me excited because we're going to meet a bunch of young men and women just like them that need to hear the truth of the gospel that supersedes a situation even as bad as cancer. It can hear that even Jesus beats cancer. And we're really excited about that. We have like our team, our launch team is around 50 people. Our staff is filling up. It's pretty awesome. We even have a chance if you want to come check it out to come check it out in about two weeks. We're taking our last vision trip. Our launch team's going there. They're going to be looking for jobs, places to live. And you can come check it out and see if that's a thing for you. And then a couple of days later, we're going to have a group from Michigan State come down and they're going to do a Reach UC. Or we're going to try to meet some UC students and start gathering contacts and people in order to begin this gospel movement that we hope will take root in uh, Cincinnati. And if you need any kind of push. I just want to tell you something right now. The weather in Cincinnati is 30 degrees, okay? It's not that abomination outside, all right? I'm from South Louisiana. That's terrifying. I almost had an emotional breakdown on the way to work today because my heater stopped working for like 10 seconds. I was about to just fall out and die. Like I, it, it, I was like, I was like, don't cry because it'll just freeze to your face and make you colder. And so I just held it together like a big boy and didn't do that. And so y'all be proud of me. I'm becoming Iowa tough, I guess, in this frozen tundra of a land. But it's exciting to be here with y'all. And I want to start tonight by sharing a story 
uh, about an experience. In fact, it's kind of linked to what this guy's doing. He's talking about how he's going to go live abroad. And, and uh, one thing that me and my wife used to do when we were in Louisiana is we'd lead summer projects, summer mission trips. Anybody ever been on one of those? Go six, seven weeks in a foreign context, raise your hand, maybe get an idea about that. All right, just a few of you. So many of you have not heard of this experience, but basically what we do is we take students to places, typically unreached, unengaged people groups, or a place where there's low access to the gospel. We go on the campus and we meet other students We try to share the gospel with them and then connect them to local churches or help local uh, uh, ministry workers uh, start churches. And one place that me and Laura would go pretty regularly was the Czech Republic. It's a place 99% atheist. You go there and to be Czech is to be atheist. And we would go there year after year after year and bring students. And two things we realized, really. Well, one thing we realized, there was two things about it that were pretty cool. The one thing that we realized is one of the best evangelistic tools we had in reaching the Czechs was our community that people would just show up to be a part of our group. In fact, there was this one guy named Andre, and Andre loved to come and talk to me and argue about everything Christianity, and he would love to tell me like all the reasons I'm wrong. We'd go get lunch, and he'd be like, hey, thanks for coming to my God-forsaken country, and, and all this stuff, but every summer that we'd go back, he would show up again, and he would show up, and, and here's the crazy thing. He would bring his friends with him to hang out with all the people that we brought, not believing a single thing that we believed. In fact, one day I got kind of frustrated with them and I was sitting down at lunch. And I was like, Andre, why do you keep coming around? Like, why do you bring your friends? Like, it doesn't sound like you like what we're doing. It doesn't sound like you agree with what we're doing. Like, why do you keep bringing them? And he looked at me, he's like, Ernie, it's because of the way that y'all treat one another and the way that you treat me, it's just different. It's just different. And I bring my friends because I want them to see that too that the way that you treat one another is different. See, I think that God wants to use the community of the church, gospel community, to transform people's lives day in and day out. And that's a peak of what Andre was seeing. In fact, I just kept messing with him. I'm like, Andre, you know what? You're responsible for a lot of people coming to Jesus because you show up because you like the community, but your friends are coming to Jesus. When is it gonna happen for you? And he just told me to shut up. It was like, whatever. But the second thing I also noticed about that is what the gospel community of those people that went on the trip, what it did to them. That we would have students that had, had no friendships, but they would show up on these teams and they would hang out and they'd get to know one another and they would read the word together and they would go on mission together and they would talk to people and then they would pray for one another and they'd be honest about their sin and they would live in gospel community for six or seven weeks and they were as tight as they could be. In fact, many of them would go back to going like, I don't wanna go back to America. I wanna stay here right here in this community that's transformational. And what that is, is a picture of what gospel community can do in people's lives. And I remember looking at them over and over again, like, hey, this isn't unique to the Czech Republic. You could do this right now. In fact, the community that God wants us to live in is available to every single one of us here. Because God has not called us to live out Christianity individually. He's called us to live it out together. And that's why every single one of us has a desire, has a need, has a want to be in a group and to be in a community where you're known, you're loved, and you're challenged. Right? 
Every single one of us wants to be in a friend group where we're known, we're loved, and we're challenged in some way. That we're accountable in some way. And that community is available right now, not because you're in this building, not because Candeo Church is on the door, Salt Company, but because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it's made possible because of that. See, tonight we're gonna look at Ephesians 4. You can open your Bibles. And Paul's gonna talk about, the first thing he's gonna talk about when he starts talking about how we should live in response to the gospel is the community, the gospel community that should exist. And we're gonna see three things. We're gonna see the ingredients, the gospel community. We're gonna see the diversity of gifts within gospel community. And we're gonna see the purpose of a gospel community. But as we look at this thing, I really wanna challenge us to do two things. One is when we talk about gospel community or we talk about community or church or whatever, I don't want you to think about Salt Company. I don't want you to think about Candeo Church. I don't want you to think about an organization. I want you to think about you. Because when we talk about community, there's a whole lot more of you than there is of me that the culture shapers of this community are sitting in the seats down there, not standing up here. See, because the second thing I want us to do when we look at that is when you hear the word community, you hear the word church, I also want you to think about you, but I want you to think about you because it's so easy when we talk about the deficiencies and the good things about community is that we point outward instead of inward. And I think for us to live in the kind of community that's transformational, the kind of community that, that changes us from the inside out, that we're known, that we're loved, that we're challenged and that we're encouraged, that we're seen, that we, we feel the kind of community that we long for, that God created us to walk in, is that we need to look in and be mirrors and reflectors of the ethics of that instead of just pointing out at the people that aren't doing that. See, as we look at scripture, you'd be missing out tonight if you say, these are all the things that this, this people, these people do well, or this church does well, or this doesn't. That, that doesn't help anything. It doesn't change anything. Instead, I want us to approach the passage tonight looking at going, okay, God, where am I enriching the community and reflecting the ethics that you are giving of community in this passage? And where am I hindering it? Because here's the thing. God speaks through his word using the Holy Spirit in your life to convict you of sin, not your neighbor. And so often it's easy for us to read that and go, yep, Chris isn't that, Mike isn't that, this isn't that. And guess what? You can't change who Chris is or Mike is and you may be completely right about that, but it doesn't change a thing. But if we look at this, I truly believe if we look at the, the outline of what gospel community is meant to be, and we examine our hearts, like the psalmist in 139 says, Lord, examine my heart. If there's any offensive way in me, change it. Then we will reflect a more beautiful picture and experience a more beautiful picture of the community, the gospel community that God is calling us into. So open up your Bible to Ephesians 4, and we're gonna pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to get together to talk 
through these passages, to work through the scripture, Lord. I ask, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would remove the blinders that we have in our eyes, the things that are stopping us from experiencing the beautiful transformational power of walking in relationship with you, God. For so many, Lord, it, like this is just Bible study. For so many, this is just something we show up to be a little bit better. But God, you're not calling us to grow individually. You're calling us to grow corporately. You're calling us to grow into a community and be a picture of the gospel to others around us and to experience the goodness of God. And Lord, I want them so desperately to experience the goodness and joy of God in the community that you've given them. And so Lord, please pierce our hearts and set aside the things and the baggage that we have so we can see clearly what you're calling us to. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Okay, Ephesians 4. We're gonna go quick. I have a lot to get through and we're gonna hit it real fast. It says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a worthy, worthy of the calling in which you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. And just as there's called to one hope and at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Okay, lots of alls in there, lots of ones, lots of things to be said. We're gonna start right at verse four, I mean, verse one, chapter four. And you need to understand when Paul says, I urge you as a soldier and I urge you as a prisoner of Christ, walk worthy of the calling you which you've been calling. He is putting a divider in the book of Ephesians. We've been reading all of Ephesians, all of the fall, okay? Chapters one through three is all about the theology of your salvation. Okay, in chapter two, he's sitting there, in chapter one, he sits there and says, hey, you've been sealed by the spirit. You've been saved by the son. Chapter two, he says, it's not, it's, you're not saved by works, but by faith, by grace of the work of God. Now you're not saved by what you've done, but you've saved by what God's done. In fact, you've been saved in such an exemplary, incredible way that God is not only in chapter three, he says, not only reconciled you to himself, but he's reconciled your enemies to himself, reconciling us together. Right? And so what you need, what he's saying right here is that the foundation, the foundation of everything that he's gonna say, because he says, hey, this is what God has done for you. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of what God has done. God has done all of this in order to bring you into a relationship with him. Now walk worthy. And so for the next three chapters, Paul is gonna talk about what does it look like to walk worthy? And the first thing he talks about is unity in the community of God's people. That's the first thing he talks about is the unity in the community of God's people. He says, gospel community walks in unity. In fact, that's what he's saying. Gospel community, write that down, walks in unity. And the foundation of gospel community is the work of Christ, right? Paul says in three chapters, Jesus has done all this. Therefore, you're meant to walk this way. Paul says in chapter three, is that verse that we love to write and quote and put all over the place. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than we could ask or think or imagine. We love writing down that verse and saying like, oh yes, I can score a goal this week in soccer. Oh yes, God will find a spouse for me. Even though I couldn't imagine that happening. You know what, what, what Paul is referencing when he says that? Is that God took, God is such a unifier of people that God took like the, the Greeks and the Jews and made them one in Christ. 
that he took two completely opposite people. This is like Democrat, Republican, okay? Antifa, Proud Boys, boom, hug fest, okay? God said, I did that. I am the one that does that. Listen to me, unity for our world is not gonna be found in policies, leaders, family, or anything outside of Christ. The reconciliation that our world, to bring peace to our world, to bring peace to warring people, is not gonna be great policy. It's not gonna be a great leader. It's not gonna be a certain party being in charge. It's not gonna be America. It's Jesus Christ that will bring about the right kind of unity, the only unity that can pull warring parties together. So in verse one, he says, hey, because of what God has done, walk worthy. Because he has created unity amongst us, walk worthy. In fact, that's what he means in verses four and six, where he says, hey, there's one God and there's one son and there's one this and one that and one that. Why is he saying that? Because he's trying to put it into our skulls. Like, listen, guys, we're meant to be one as God is one. Gospel community is not meant to be fractured and broken and at war with itself. It's meant to be one as God is one. Because the most unifying thing that we have is not where you're born, your football team, or your preference, but it's the work that God has done in your life to transform you utterly and completely into a new creation. And then he gives us the ingredients of unity. Look at verses two and three. He gives us three characteristics and two postures that we must model. The first one he says is humility. Humility is the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride. That's what humility is. Arrogance and pride is an attitude of me over you. My kingdom, not your kingdom. When we are filled with arrogance and pride, and so much of this is us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a hard time celebrating the successes of others. We become envious, controlling, and suspicious. Humility, on the other hand, is the selflessness of giving, your way, giving away yourself for other people. And God is not calling us to do something he hasn't done. If you look at Philippians 2, what does it say? that Jesus laid aside his divinity, took on the image of a person and humbled himself to death on a cross so that we would be reconciled to him. Guys, if it took God to humble himself to, rec to reconcile us to him, how much are we gonna need to humble ourselves to reconcile us to one another? Here's the question. Are your friendships marked by humility towards one another or competition and strife? Do you have a hard time celebrating the victories that your friends have? Do you have difficulty being happy because your friend got what you didn't get? Do you find yourself envious of them? There's nothing that breaks gospel community or any community than when we are arrogant and prideful to one another. First ingredient, humility. 
Second ingredient, gentleness. He says, with all humility and gentleness. Gentleness, we think, often think wrongly about it. We think about weakness or timidity. But really what gentleness is strength under control. That's what it is. Gentleness is knowing the ability that you have and having control over your emotions and compulsions. My one-year-old daughter doesn't know gentleness. If you've met Gracie, she's probably scratched you in the face, like 90% chance, or punched you in the nose because she got excited. She doesn't understand what gentleness is. She just knows like, bah, right there. And the, I have so many scars on my face. That's why I have a beard, okay? Because I have three children. They're tearing me up constantly. But gentleness is about controlling one's power and approaching with love and compassion instead of insecurity and compulsion. If we're gonna live in community, gospel community, we need to be gentle towards one another. Because if not, we'll crush one another in delicate moments. We'll hurt one another. The third ingredient is patience. Patience has the ability, has, means to be long-suffering. Or, or a place where you can wait out a difficulty and endure like discomfort. Paul says, hey, you wanna have gospel community? You need to be patient. Why? Because just because we see something wrong doesn't mean we change automatically, right? I've been married to my wife for 10 years. She's still asking me why I'm doing certain things that I did 10 years ago. I'm like, I don't know, right? I'm still asking her. I'm like, why do you leave your wallet in your car and you leave it unlocked? It drives me nuts. We're gonna need patience towards one another. And Paul says we'll need with all humility and gentleness and patience, meaning we're gonna need all of this that God would provide for us. And the two postures of this, he says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another means to take up, to endure. That if we're gonna be in a key ingredient, guys, is it can't just be you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It can't just be that's your stuff, that's not my stuff. It can't just be sucks for you that you're walking through that. I don't have to deal with that because that's not my thing. Paul says, if we're gonna be a community that's transformational, if we're gonna be a community, a gospel community, then we have to look at, at, at Chris's problems as my problem too, as Mike's grief, as my grief too. As Claire's difficulty is my difficulty too. That we need to shoulder up next to one another and bear with one another. And not because we have to. Why? What does it say right there? 
Bear with one another in love. Guys, my kids throw food on the floor. I don't pick it up all the time because it's my duty as a dad. I pick it up because I love them because I am their dad. If you begin to just bear with one another because that's what you're supposed to do, it will create embitterment within you. And you will begin to resent those around you. But if you do it from a posture and a place of love, then it will be life-giving to them and life-giving to you. What some of us need to do is we need to fan our affections, not only for God, but for God's people around us. Second posture is we must be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. When he says eager, he means zealous. He means make every effort. The idea is this. He's saying, hey, the thing that bonds you together is not that you go to you and I. It's not that you go to salt. It's not that you're a part of Candeo Church. The thing that bonds us together as a church, as a people of God, is that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And what Paul is telling us, if you're gonna have gospel community, that the thing that bonds us together that the work of Christ allowed for the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and transform your life, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done, has to be worthy of fighting for greater than our separate desires. That the things that bond us, God's work, would be greater than the things that separate us. Sin. saying it's not gonna be easy, that you're gonna have to work hard at community, that you're gonna have to bear difficulties, that you're gonna have to fight to stay in relationship. We quit so easily. There's so many of us that should be in this room that are not. Because somebody sinned against us, or because we got offended, or because we were prideful. And we just give up on community and we wonder why it's not transformational. If you treat it cheaply, it can't be transformational. It has to be of great value. See, Christian community is meant to walk unified together, but it's also Christian community, also gospel community is meant to work together to serve one another. Look at verses seven. He says, now the grace that is given to each one of us according to the measures of Christ's gifts, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people, but what does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? I'm gonna explain this in a few minutes. 10, the, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some an apostle, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and, and teachers to equip the saints of the works of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Gospel community functions in the diversity of gifts. 
And God is the giver of this gifts because he's king. Now, when you look at those first couple of verses, you see him saying, he ascended and he descended and he ascended and he descended and he did captive. Let me explain that to you real quick, okay? What that's talking about, the person that ascended and descended is Jesus. He's talking about how Jesus came down to earth, that he lived the perfect life, that he came to bring unification between God and man. And what he did is he, when he came down here and when he died on the cross, rose three days later and then ascended to heaven, what is it when he says he took those who cap, he took the captives captive? It means this, is that when Jesus went to heaven, all right, he didn't go to heaven empty handed. He took the things that captivated you and made them captives of him. You understand what I'm saying? That when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with sin, death, and Satan, the things that captivated us. When you look at scripture, what does scripture tell us before Jesus? That we are captured by Satan, we're captured by sin, and we're captured by the world and our flesh. That we are slaves to those things. Jesus saved us and he didn't capture us, but then gave us gifts to walk in relationship with him. You understand that? Isn't that incredible? When you look at this right here, what, he say, what Paul is saying is, hey, the person who ascended and descended was Jesus, but he did it on purpose. He did it for a purpose, that we would be able to have a relationship with him because he would remove the thing that we were captured by so we'd be free to follow him, the gift giver. And because of that, Jesus is king. He's not a good guy. He's not your butler. Because of that, he came, said all things would find their fulfillment in him. And he said he came to give gifts. And what are those gifts? It's gifts of leadership to the church. He says five things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. I'm gonna take a minute and talk about these just for a second. When he says apostles, he's not talking about the 12 apostles, but he's talking about leaders in the church that have apostolic gifting. Apostolic gifting, this is the diversity of God's community. We're not all meant to be the same. Unity is not uniformity. And he's saying each one of us, I believe 100%, each one of us have some level of gifting of these five gifts in us. And when he talks about apostolic gifting, meaning someone, guys, that looks around at the world and is always thinking where the gospel isn't. They're entrepreneurs. They're risk takers. They're innovators. They're organizers. They're creative, they're adaptive. They always, they're the kind of person that looks on campus and goes, well, what about the athletes? Or what about, what about those in Greek life? Or what about the internationals over there? Or what about this? They're always thinking about where the gospel isn't and they're wanting to take the gospel there. He says, this is a leadership function of the church. Then here's another leadership function of the church, prophets. Don't think Old Testament prophets. See, there was a time when there was, the, when there was a formal version of a prophet. A prophet was someone that God would speak to in the Old Testament and he would reveal revelation to God's people about what God had said. But we know this in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, as many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by a son whom he appointed to the heirs of all things, though through whom also he created the world. Meaning that God used to speak to the prophets, but now because of Jesus, he speaks directly to us and through the word of God, that there's no new revelation to be had. So when it talks about prophets, it's not about someone who's speaking new revelation, but it's about someone who is speaking and making clear what is true about God to others. 
When you hear the word prophet, think about this. If I have prophetic gifting, it means I speak the truth very clearly and regularly about God's word. Those people in your community are typically the people that go, man, Chris, I don't think that's the right thing you should be doing right now. Hey, Mike, I saw what, I saw what you're looking at and that isn't right. They're black and white truth speakers. Then there's evangelists. Those are people that often just share, they, like everywhere they go, followers of Christ pop up. I believe it's one of Stephen's giftings. Every time I bump into that guy, he's got a new story about he's led a new person to Jesus. Pretty amazing. Then you have shepherds. These people love people really well. They care for people really well. Then you have teachers. And they're really good at helping people understand intellectually the word of God and how to follow and be obedient to the word of God. I believe every single one of you has one of these gifts. And some of us have it to different measures than others. But every single one of us has them. And if you wanna find out what your gift is, here's my advice to you. Uh, start being obedient to the word of God. It'll be revealed to you by the things that you do really well and what other people affirm in you. You don't need a spiritual test. You just need to go do it and see what God does. And the purpose of these gifts are verse 12, to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The goal of spiritual leadership See, the goal of me is not to do all the ministry for you, but to equip you, to help equip you to do the works of ministry, meaning to teach you and to, to, to love God, to love his people, and to do the great commandment, to do the great commission. And all of us, because God has gifted us in some way, shape, or form, are meant to enrich our community with the gifts that God's given us. So here's the question. In the diversity of gifts that you have, how are you enriching the community that God's placed you in. It's really easy to look around and see what's lacking. Maybe what's lacking is the gift that God's given you to help your connection group be more transformational. To help your community group, our connection group, be more evangelistic. To help your connection group feel more warm and welcoming and loving because you're a shepherd. What gifts has God given you to enrich your community in order to build the, the gospel community? Last paragraph, verses 11 through 16. The goal of gospel community is transformation. And he himself gave some to be apostles, I'm gonna read 11 again, and, and some prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measuring by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head of Christ. For him, the whole body is fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament 
promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Guys, the goal of gospel community is transformation. He says we're gonna grow in three ways. The unity of faith, we're gonna grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, and we're gonna grow, to the, we're gonna grow in maturity that we're no longer gonna be swept away by the things that sweeps away this world. As I close, this is the question I ask you. How do you affect the transformationalness of your community? Not how is your community transformational, but how has God uniquely gifted you as a part of the body, as Christ is the head, to transform your community? In what ways are you the pace setter in maturity? In what ways are you the pace setter in faith that unites? In what ways are you the pace setter in growing into the knowledge of God, not just intellectual understanding, but a relational connectedness to God? In what ways do you need to speak the truth, as he says, and speak it in love? to one another. Guys, gospel community. See, this is the thing we need to understand. Our community is meant to be a picture of the body and work of Christ to your campus. And when they look at us, is that what they see? Or do they see people squabbling over things that are insignificant, that don't matter? Do they see a group of people who are unified? Do they see a diversity of gifts serving together for the greater good of the kingdom of God? Do they see people that are enriching one another to growth, the transformation because it's not one person's job. It's God's job through the Holy Spirit, through the church of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. Lord, I do ask that this word would not be condemnational. It wouldn't be something that leaves us hopeless, but Lord, full of hope because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's ready to transform us and change us. And Lord, I ask that it would do that. I ask that we would look at the community that you're calling us to be. And we'd say, what's my part to grow in this? Do I need to be more patient with that person? Lord, is there arrogance and pride in me that is stunting the growth of my community? Am I rough? Do I need to endure and bear something with someone in my connection group, in my community? Lord, am I using my gifts? Lord, am I spurring people towards transformation 
and unity or am I spurring people to division? What a privilege it is that we are used by you to be a picture to this world. May we press into that because you're king. We love you, Jesus. Praise you. Amen.